begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, I asked the kids, but I'll ask you as well, how many of you enjoy campfires? Yeah? Okay. Near, nearly everyone. Um, um, I, I think it, it's, it's kind of generally, this is something that most people would probably not say no to, right? Um, and I think there's a few reasons for that. Um, not only the campfire and what it does, but I think the setting and scenario of it as well. Uh, there was an interesting study done by University of Alabama. Um, they tested people uh, and their blood pressure and their relative stress levels before and after campfires. And can you guess what happened after and during a campfire? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, blood pressure went down. Actually, stress levels were greatly decreased by nothing more than sitting around campfire, right? Um, and, and there's some allure to it, isn't it? Uh, the crackling of the logs, uh, the cold on your back, the warm in your front. Um, but I think maybe even more so, it's who we are gathered around that campfire with. More often than not, that's an intimate setting, isn't it? It's a few people, right? And more often than not, what comes along with campfires is storytelling, right? Yeah, right? Because that, that, that kind of natural of what happens there. You are, you, are, you are gathered around that fire and everyone tells stories, right? And, and one story will lead to another story, will lead to another story, and then someone will contradict the other story and say, you, don't, you didn't remember it quite right, right? And then it'll come back around. But, but usually uh, around a campfire, you hear all kinds of stories, but it's not even just limited to that, is it? You'll hear stories, maybe stories from the past, maybe stories from uh, your childhood, maybe stories from previous campfires and times that you had been there. But you're also conveying truths, aren't you? You're conveying something about yourself. On some level, I think a campfire kind of um, opens up our, our hearts to be a little more vulnerable um, and a little more transparent. And so the things you say, the things you do, I think are a little bit of a window into your own heart. You're willing to share emotions, problems, feelings, joys, um, tragedies, all those things I think more readily come out when we're gathered around a campfire. But it goes even, I think, a step further than that. It even communicates um, um, ideas and thoughts about who we are, right? So maybe on the surface, things start out humorous and stories are there, but it leads to vulnerability and transparency. And I think oftentimes it can go even deeper than that, can't it? This, this, is, this is what I'm struggling with. This is how I view my world. These are the, the, the things that drive me and move me. I think all of those things can happen and do happen remarkably naturally around a campfire. So back to that study from University of Alabama, we can see why stress levels and blood pressure are lowered when you're in settings like that. When you are freely sharing and they are freely sharing with you and there is a, a level of support and love and laughter that is happening. Right? Okay. Campfires are maybe our best example of where those stories come out remarkably naturally. Um, but did you know that um, one-third of all of Jesus' quotes in the New Testament were stories? Not necessarily around a campfire, but they were stories. 
Uh, we have a, a Christian word for that. We call them parables, right? So the definition of a parable is uh, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So these weren't just, these weren't tall tales saying like how big a fish was, X, Y, Z, right? Um, but Jesus often taught with stories, parables. And so he would t- teach his disciples, he would teach the crowds, and he teaches you and I, and he says, um, um, here's what's happening, an earthly message with a heavenly meaning. I think sometimes that can happen at and around fire pits, but it happens when we gather around our Lord and Savior as well. Parable after parable, story after story, where he takes us where you, takes you where you are at and says, um, here's, here's an illustration for how things generally work, but I'm going to give you insight. Insight into your own heart, insight into the world around you, and most importantly, insight into your God above and his heart for you. Jesus does that today in our parable. And actually today and tomorrow, uh, or next Sunday, we're going to hear a couple different parables from Jesus. Um, The one that he is trying to drive home to his disciples and to you and I here today is that theme of overflowing generosity. To be more direct, that God's economy works slightly different than ours. That That what is fair in God's eyes is slightly different and at times different than what our world or even our own hearts would say is fair. And so that's what we want to look at here today. Uh, We gather around a campfire. That's that one out there, right? But you're going to be be able to hear a story, a parable, a message from Jesus' own mouth um, to give us insight into who he is. So, uh, so I'd love for you to follow along with me here today. And uh, you can open up your bulletin. Our entire text is there. And I'm going to give a little bit of a caveat because last time, last time, so you are all such wonderful people, but last time I sat on a stool, I had no less than five or six of you, as you were leaving, say, are, like, are you okay? <laughs> and the first person I was like, why are they asking if I'm okay? Like, do I look really old and tired? And I do. And I thought like, do I have bags under my eyes? And then the next person, and then it, someone like clued me in. They said, because because you were sitting on a stool, so we, we thought maybe you hurt yourself or hurt your back. Yeah, I know. So you're all wonderful people. Short answer is, no, I'm not injured. I do get injured a lot, but I'm not injured. Uh, but I am going to sit on a stool this morning. Um, and maybe because it, 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 it tends to kind of follow along with the parable and the story that Jesus is telling. And so, um, I, quite honestly, I'd love for you to follow along in your bulletin, because we're going to go through line by line or, or kind of a couple verses at a time talk about each of those, and then we're going to apply what Jesus says to us, to our lives, and ultimately what we can take home as well, okay? So you'll find it in the bulletin. Um, As always, I'll also have it on the screen behind me here too. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, Oh, here's our, this is kind of where we're flowing, if you're wondering. We're going to talk about these three concepts. We talk about Jesus overflowing generosity. We'll talk about fairness, um, what that generosity is, and then what overflowing means in our Christian living. So those are kind of the areas that we're going we're gonna to head. So uh, let's start with the first couple of verses, verse 1 and 2. Jesus says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to, agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. Okay. So Jesus is setting the scene a little bit with who exactly is there, the characters that are involved. Um, there's a landowner. Uh, um, he owns, he owns um, acres and acres. He goes out looking for workers. Um, and at the very beginning of the day, 
that's who he finds. So we're not told, it says very early, so we're assuming probably just after dawn, right? Uh, so if, if you were standing waiting for work just after the sun comes up, what insight might that give us or a landowner about your work ethic? Yeah, you're getting after it, right? You're ready to work. Someone else, I, I, someone else, when I heard this previously, said, well, maybe I couldn't sleep, so I just had to get up, right? But, um, but probably work ethic, right? So if you are there before the sun even comes up, you're ready to work, right? You're ready to use your gifts uh, to earn money for yourself, for your family, for whoever. So um, the landowner comes out and he finds the first group of workers that are there, and he agrees to pay them a denarius, which doesn't mean a ton to us. Um, but a denarius was a healthy day's wage for a worker. And I say a healthy day's wage because this, um, what he agrees to pay them was he wasn't scrimping on it at all. If you earned a denarius for a day, um, you could not only put food on your table, but take care of your family, kids, whoever else you had. So this was a generous uh, day's wage. Okay? It was absolutely fair. In fact, maybe a little bit more than fair. Um, and, and that's why these go-getters at the crack of dawn signed up. They said, yep, we'll do it, right? Um, we'd love to work. We're looking for work. And a denarius is more than, uh, more than generous for the work that we're going to put in during the day, okay? Um, so that's kind of how we start out. Land order comes, says, I'll give you a denarius. They agree. He says, okay, go and work. Next couple verses. We'll go verses three through five. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. Okay, so now we get a little more insight into this landowner's approach to his workers, right? Uh, so now he comes back out at nine o'clock, at noon, and at three o'clock. Okay, so the go-getters already all got hired. They'd already been working for three hours by the time he goes back out for his next round, right? Um, but what does he say to them? Go and work. Now, what's a little interesting is um, he doesn't promise them a denarius or a day's wage. And what's also interesting is they don't argue with him, right? You want to know why? Because they didn't get up at the crack of dawn. Because they missed the boat. Like they should have been there when the sun came up. They weren't. We don't know why, right? They're there now, but they did not expect a denarius for a day's work. They were just willing to work. So he says, I'll pay you whatever is right. Go and work. Nine o'clock, there's a group. Noon, there's a group. Three o'clock, there's a group, right? All willing to work, all looking to work, says, I'll pay you what, it's, what you're worth or what, what I think is fair, okay? Okay, next few verses, six through seven. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard, okay? So five o'clock. What time was sundown? I'm not sure, but there couldn't have been a whole lot of work left to do in the day. And remember who's been working since like 6 a.m., right? The go-getters who had been out there, right? In fact, all the other groups. So uh, now 5 o'clock, this is like, you know, closing time kind of. He says, go and work. Maybe an hour, 
a couple hours of work, right? But he still sends them out to work. Right? Now, what can we assume about some of the workers that had come later in the day? I think we can assume some of it, and, and a few things rather. And we get a little bit of insight from the landowner's reaction. Because when he comes to them, sees others standing around, and he says, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? What's the insinuation? They could have been working, right? They could have been working. In fact, the insinuation is, you probably should have been working, right? And how does the landowner know that? Because how many times had he come looking for workers? <laughs> he came at six, he came at nine, he came at noon, and he came at three. And now it's five o'clock, you woke up late, now you're here, right? And so he asked them, why are you here doing nothing? Their response is pretty telling, because no one has hired us. Is that true? It, it simply isn't, right? So at 5 o'clock, he hires more workers. Let me characterize these workers. If the, the dawn of the day workers were um, early bird gets the worm, get after it before the sun comes up, um, I'm, I'm ready to work my day, take care of the responsibilities I have, the people that I have, I'm ready to put in a hard day's work in order for an honest wage. The 5 o'clock crew was the opposite. Okay. Um, they had stayed up too late. They had drank too much. They couldn't roll out of bed. They couldn't be bothered to go out and even look for work, right? They weren't actually looking for a full day's wage. They're maybe looking just for a little bit of cash to be able to tide them over until the next day. And then add to that, they're liars. Because the landowner had gone and looked for workers multiple times during the day, and they said, oh, well, no one would hire us. They're lying. The landowner would have hired them. He would have found them and said, go and work, right? And so now within this lesson, we kind of have this, this, this contrast. We would say, it says this, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. So five o'clock crew gets paid first up to the crack of dawn folks, Right? The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Now, if you were the five o'clock crew, I think you're pretty pumped. You're like, right? Like, excellent, <laughs> right? This is not what I expect. I expected. This is not what I asked for. And in fact, on some level, they could have said this isn't actually fair, <laughs> right? I, um, we are getting paid a full day's work and we only put in an hour or two. Right? And it wasn't anyone's fault but our own. Right? So you can maybe imagine their reaction, right? joy, um, um, overjoyed that the landowner was unfair in a positive sense. Okay? Now you contrast that with what the Crack of Dawn crew were probably expecting. We get a little insight into how and what they were expecting. Right? When they saw that, you can almost picture the scene that is there and all the workers that had been working during the day. And if the five o'clock crew gets a full day's wage, a denarius, in their minds, they're probably thinking, ha ha, this is going to be good, right? At least maybe two denarius, maybe one and a half, 
a little extra spending money, right? Family's going to be happy, right? The, the, the work that I put in is going to be even, even more uh, rewarded from the landowner. Okay. But they find something a little different. Verse 10. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive money, but each one of them also received a denarius. Now, flashback. Early risers, what had they agreed to work for? A denarius, right? A healthy day's wage. So the truth is, they got exactly what they were promised. They got exactly what the landowner had promised to them. But their reaction to that wasn't exactly what, uh, what it should have been. So... Next couple verses, 11 and 12. It says, When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only an hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day of the work and the heat of the day. Okay. Early morning folks had a distinct problem with it. In fact, they make accusations of the landowner, right? Uh, they began to grumble, and uh, um, um, it's kind of that, that low murmuring. Right? You can almost picture yourself in the crowd there and people are getting paid and getting their wages and slowly the before dawn people are realizing we're not going to get any more and you could hear the discontent starting to gurgle. Right? And then they make their accusation of the landowner. You have made them equal to us. We deserve more. We put in harder work. We were here first. We were out of bed before the sun came up. We have done these things and therefore you owe us more. It's not fair and it's not right. You ought to pay us more. Right? I think we can understand maybe that frustration just a little bit. Uh, the frustration that they would have had. Right? Because the truth is, I think that frustration, that grumbling, that low rumble happens in every one of our hearts, right? Um, we and our world generally like to try to operate on what is fair and what is right, right? Quid pro quo. I do this, you do this in return. Let's balance the scales, right? In a, in a, in a, to a large degree, that's how your workplaces work, right? Um, our kids kind of figure that out even within their schools. Any group of people that you're in, generally that's kind of how it works. And we're always thinking in terms of, can we balance those scales? If I do this, here's what I expect to get in return. In some sense, that's the, the default operating uh, um, programming of our hearts. If I do, I expect to get in return. There's a little bit of problem with that, isn't there? Because what happens when we don't receive exactly what we expect? Same of these workers, right? The grumbling starts. And maybe it's kind of low. And maybe we're just a little bit annoyed, right? Um, um, that we, we didn't quite get the bonus we wanted at work. That our spouse or our kids didn't react or, or um, um, show enough, just enough thanksgiving for the things I've done for them. Right? That within uh, our neighbors, right, they're, they're not quite appreciative enough for me spraying all their weeds, right, and, and uh, mowing their lawn occasionally. And, and I think for all of our hearts, it does start out as a low grumbling. But you're smart. You're, you are well-adjusted adults. I think for us as well-adjusted adults, we don't immediately go to the end result. 
but you can kind of feel when Satan starts to get a foothold. It's just a little bit of discontentment, right? Just a little bit of grumbling. Just a little bit of the accusation, it's not quite fair. What happens when that continues? What happens when relationships seem to be completely uneven? I think far too often we say we're done. This is not fair. This is not equal. I'm doing these things and I'm not receiving in return and so I am done. We do that with relationships. We do that within our workplaces. We do that in our churches. We do that in our communities. We even do that in our neighborhoods. It's not fair. And so I'm going to cut ties and move on. If you've done that, you're not alone. If you have felt that way, you're not alone. In fact, on some level, it's the default operating of our hearts. We like things to be fair. These workers wanted things to be fair, right? And yet, they got what was fair, didn't they? A fair wage, a denarius. Yet, the comparison, they were upset, right? Um, You've heard that statement, that comparison is the thief of joy, right? They weren't necessarily upset at what they were getting. They were upset at what someone else was getting that was more, because it wasn't fair. And I think we can all see that. So we wrestle with that. What is fair in God's economy, right? Well, the truth is, we don't deserve any of it, do we? The truth is, none of those workers deserved any of it, right? Whether you came at the crack of dawn or the end of the day, you were still at the mercy of the landowner, that he had work, that he was willing to be generous, and that he was going to offer you pay. The same is true for you and I, isn't it? Our best efforts fall woefully short. And the best we can do as sophisticated, uh, uh, intelligent human beings is to compare. Well, I show up to church on a Sunday morning, right? That should be at least a little, little notch higher, right? I treat people um, with generosity in these things, then I should be moving up the ladder. In fact, um, when we live our world in a quid pro quo way, we oftentimes let it bleed into our relationship with our God above, and we assume that he operates in the exact same way. If I do these things, then God, here's what I expect. If I act in these ways, then God... Here's my wages. And, and my wages, they should look like a little bit better than that guy over there. Right? See, the truth is, I think there's a temptation there for us as well. But here's the amazing thing. It's the point of what Jesus is teaching his disciples and us here today. That's not actually how God works. Our God doesn't work in a quid pro quo. He works in an overflowing, generous, gracious way to people that are outside, right, um, that are on the opposite side of the warmth of the gospel. So in that story, which worker do you think you are? Are you a 6 a.m.er, a 9 because mornings are tough, noon 3 or 5? 
I think it's the question that Jesus wanted his disciples to ask of themselves, and I think it's the question he wants us to ask of ourselves as well. Hold on to that question, right? Jesus goes on in our text to highlight a remarkable point. It says this, verse 13 through 15. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? And here's probably the key point here. Or are you envious? Or are you envious because I am generous? Right? It wasn't that they weren't getting what they had agreed to and what they deserved. It was that somebody else was getting something that they seemingly didn't deserve. Right? Are you envious of your God's generosity? I think it's a question that we can ask of ourselves. Are we envious of our gracious, generous God? I think all of us would like to say no. But at times we act far different, right? But that's exactly who he is. Our God above is overflowingly generous, right? Because he doesn't work in a quid pro quo, a conditional love type of way with you and I. He works in an unconditional way. Christ gave his life on the cross for the sins of all mankind. So whether you you are the first to the party or the last, faith in Christ saves and means that you are a son or a daughter of your God in heaven. Christ's grace is overflowing. There is no end to it. Uh, um, Just because someone else comes late to the party does not mean that you somehow are getting less. It only means that you got to enjoy God's grace for a longer time. And that is a reason to give thanks and to, to send our thanks to our God above rather than being upset about those that seemingly came in late. That's the point of Jesus' story, right? I ask you the question, did you see yourself as a 6 a.m.er, something in between, or a 5 p.m.er? You want to know the truth? Point of Jesus' parable? Every last one of us showed up at 5 p.m. We did. Every last one of us show up woefully late with sin draped around our shoulders, not deserving to walk into heaven. Every single one of us showed up late um, with our heads down, just asking for our God and for work and some level of mercy. Every single one of us were the end of the day workers. And yet, what do every single one of us receive in Christ? Love and grace and overflowing um, forgiveness. That's the point of Jesus' parable. We are not saved because of who we are, what we do, uh, um, where we've come from, or the time that we've put in. We are saved only and solely because of Jesus' perfect life and death on the cross. That is the concept of grace. That is unique uh, um, within anything that you're going to find in our world. Undeserved love, not because we deserved it, but because God, God's love for us moved him to give his life on the cross for you. This parable, it's a little bit fascinating um, because it has some parallels within the pages of Scripture. Within two chapters in the book of Matthew, Jesus would enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. By Friday, he would be nailed to a cross, giving his life for you and I. You notice the times during the day of the workers? 
By 6 a.m., Jesus went to work. He was being falsely accused, tried, whipped, and ultimately sentenced to death. By 9 a.m., as he went to work, he would be nailed to an instrument of his own death, to a cross outside the city walls. By noon, as he continued to work on our behalf, he would die, give up his life. Right? By 3 p.m., well, by, by noon, rather, he's on the cross, and there's a thief on the cross next to him. By 3 p.m., he is dead. Before sundown on Friday, his dead body would be placed in a tomb. So when we want to talk about who went to work on our behalf, nothing short of the Son of God for you. If we all came late to the party, Jesus did not. He lived his life perfectly. He gave it up sacrificially for you so that you would know that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and so that that grace would be overflowing not only in your lives, but in your relationships. And in fact, in how you see the world around you. This was the point of Jesus' parable. The Apostle Paul understood that as well. He says a little more succinctly in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Paul says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. We all showed up to the party at 5 p.m., and yet God's grace is lavished upon us, upon you, in Christ because of his work, not ours. Julian Chavikian says it this way. I like this quote. Uh, grace is recklessly generous, uncomfortably promiscuous. It doesn't use sticks, carrots, or time cards. It doesn't keep score. As Robert Capone puts it, grace works without requiring anything on our part. It's not expensive. It's not even cheap. It's free. It refuses to be controlled by our innate sense of fairness, reciprocity, and even-handedness. It defies logic. It has nothing to do with earning merit or deservedness. It is opposed to what is owed. It doesn't expect a return on investments. It is a liberating contradiction between what we deserve and what we get. Grace is unconditional acceptance given to an undeserving person by an unobligated giver. It is one-way love. That's what we get. That's what you have in Christ. That's what we get to share. Last verse of our text. Jesus says this, so the last will be first and the first will be last. Now he sends us into our world with that overflowing grace. And how does that affect us? I think in probably a lot of different ways. I've got three for you here today. When we understand how undeserving we are and the, um, the incredible amount of grace and, and generosity our God has shown us, I think it permeates who we are, how we see our world, and how we treat the people around us. First thing, I think as Christians, understanding that, we can be the least judgmental people around. Right? We're all five o'clockers here. Right? We can be the least judgmental people around. Right? It's not based on who we are, what we've done, or when we came to the party. It's based solely on God's grace. Right? Second one, we can be the least offendable people right? We can be the least offendable people because um, we understand just how far outside of the warmth of Christ's light we were, right? 
There's not a lot that should surprise us because we've seen it in our own hearts and we've seen it in the world around us, right? We let that grace flow through us. And the last one, we'd be the least selfish people around. God's grace is never ending. You cannot give too much of it away, nor can you give too much of yourself away. So we can be the least selfish people around. Opening our hearts to relationships that sometimes are difficult, right? Um, opening our lives to people that are hurting and lost and are outside of the light of Christ. Giving of ourselves, even at times when it doesn't seem fair. Guess what? As believers, you can do that. You can give because you know what you've been given. And it's overflowing and it's overwhelming generosity from your Lord and Savior above. So as we leave here today, I pray the fire, the warmth, of Jesus' grace and his overwhelming generosity not only warms your hearts, but shows itself in how you treat, how you view, and how you act in the world in which you live. Amen.